Should I start this one with a song? Oh, do it. Do you want to do a call and response on Ya Ya Ding Dong? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Here with me, Paul. Ya Ya Ding Dong. Ding Dong. My love for you is so wide and long. Ya Ya Ding Dong. Ding Dong. Play Ya Ya Ding Dong. You get back in here. And you play Ya Ya Ding Dong right now. Play it right now! Play it now! <laughs> Nothing makes you happy! Except for that! Wow. If you couldn't tell today, we're going to be talking about obscure sporting competitions. <laughs> and also, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Could they have made that title any more difficult? I think not. And I keep wanting to call it The Song of Saga and Fire and... Ice. I keep thinking ice is in there somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do I want to do the saga of fire song, right? As yep. opposed to the story of fire saga. Right. That was I, yeah. yeah. It was a terribly named group. How many times did you write that out in your review? <laughs> and then have to like delete it and rewrite it. <laughs> you know, I only started so I only did the full title at the top and at the bottom, and all the rest was just Eurovision. Just Eurovision. Uh, so yeah, I think the word. actual review was going to get confused with the uh, the European channel, you know? Right. Yeah, that's the problem. When, even for this podcast, when I have to come up with the title for this podcast, I feel as though I have to use the entire title or else everybody's going to think yeah. I'm talking about the actual show. Yeah, you should just say that Will Ferrell movie. That Will Ferrell movie. The recent Will one. The recent one on Netflix with the Ya Ya Ding Dong. <laughs> Tell me we're not starting off with Ya Ya Ding Dong. <laughs> you said you wanted to start with the song. I, did. <laughs> I said a song, not that song. That's the only one in my range. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I can't really hit the notes on the other one. <laughs> I'm in double trouble tonight. I don't know. Yeah, you should do a you should do the song along. The song along. See, I, I never I didn't know those songs. I didn't know that song. Oh, you didn't know? Do you believe in life after love? No. Oh my goodness. I looked at my wife as we were watching it and I said, Am I supposed to know this song or is this like an original yeah. another original? Yes, you're supposed to know that song. Don't know Cher. that song. It was, nope. it's the, it's the only good share song that has been made in the last 30 years. I only know of one share song. No, actually, that's it's not, share song. That's not actually true. Actually, Cher's made some really good songs now that I think about it. The Mermaid song, that was pretty good. No idea. Oh my goodness. We should do a top five share songs. For me, it would just be the Sonny and Cher song from Groundhog's Day. I got you, babe. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only one. That's literally the only song I can name that she had any involvement with. <laughs> Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. Nope. This was no she. She was kind of a big deal during all of my childhood. So. Right. Well. Okay. Anyway.
What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. I like to ambush Paul with these openings every once in a while. You know, I think that the beginnings of these podcasts get more and more chaotic as time goes on. I don't know. It's my way of... I'm just used to it now. I'm fine with it now. I, I like want this polished, nice beginning to welcome people in. Now it's just whatever. You've worn me down, Jake. Jake starts singing Ya Ya Ding Dong. Oh my goodness. Paul's favorite tune from the recently released Netflix, See? soon to be classic, Eurovision Song Contest, the saga. Uh, nope, nope. The story. Of... <laughs> Dang it. Fire song. No, fire the... saga. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the story of fire saga. The title that doesn't make any sense and never wants to be said the right way. Yeah. Good. I mean, we'll see 20 years from now. Will we just call it the Eurovision movie or will we call it that Will Ferrell Eurovision movie? Will we even be talking about it in 20 years? Uh, you know, we'll have to find out. We'll have to find out in that segment. When we talk about it, because we finally have a uh, semi-large new release film on digital. Would you say like we haven't really had any big drops on digital outside of Trolls World Tour? Yeah, Scoob. We didn't talk Scoob. About Scoob. That Scoob. night was pretty good, but it wasn't a high-profile release. It was not high-profile. Will Ferrell. He, uh, yeah, he's still kind of a big deal. I mean, he's now, what, in his sixth decade of work, but he's still doing pretty good. He's doing all right. And Rachel McAdams, she's been putting out the films for a little while. Just right. seems like, what, 10, 15 years ago that she was playing teenagers, and now she's playing 40-year-old single women? You know, honestly, I don't remember a single Rachel McAdams teenage movie. I think, what? no. I, mean Girls? No, never saw Mean Girls. Notebook? No, never saw Notebook. <laughs> never saw Notebook. You're such a Nicholas Sparks kind of guy. <laughs> I reviewed really... Nicholas Sparks' movie. That was all I needed. I could write all the reviews of Nicholas Sparks' movies from that one review. Uh, I think well, it was a Rodeo Cowboy. Yeah, well, there's, there's one in every book. There's one Rodeo in Cowboy. every Nicholas Sparks one, book. And someone has to die. So I'm sure somebody died in the notebook. People died. There were tears. There was romance. Yeah. Passionate declarations of love in the rain. Yeah. I I have seen that scene. <laughs> oh, wow. That's somehow worse. <laughs> no, it was, it was I was like, I don't watch all the Nicholas Sparks films. I just watch like rainy love scenes. No, it's like one of those famous scenes. It's like from here to eternity, you know, the scene where they're lying on the beach and the waves crash in on you. And I think it was actually on some sort of weird, I don't know, movie. Top play. 10 countdown. Wow. I'm for once I'm derailing the open. I'm, <laughs> I'll reel it back in. So Eurovision song contest, the story of fire saga is uh, based off of Will Ferrell's obsession with the obscure to us Americans, but massive in the European market Eurovision Song Contest, uh, where everybody likes to get their weird on in an annual 
contest that as an American, I reserve the right to know nothing about other than this movie and purposely did no research because I just wanted to really lay into my American role in this review of the film. Good for you. I'm not sure. That's right. Uh, and kind of going along with the obscurity of Eurovision, we thought we would rank the best obscure sports in the world for you to watch. Because again, what else is an American good for if not commenting on and judging things from other countries that we have zero context about? You know, I, I hate to tell you this, but most of mine are not from other countries. Well, I'm a good American then. Paul... <laughs> Paul's going to act like one of them PC, you know, hates America kind of people. (laughs) That is me. That is me. Hate America. (laughs) Reparations. Uh, That sound clip is going to be gold (laughs) one day. It's going to, it's going to completely submarines Paul, Paul's uh, nascent political career. That'll be it. My career will be done. Uh, and then, of course, we'll wrap up the show the way we always love to wrap up the show with the most least important thing. Feels like we've been talking long enough to wrap up the show now. That's right. That's it. That's the show. That's we've it. We've reviewed it all. That's we've it. done it. But uh, without further ado, it's time for the next segment, and it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> So Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, is really uh, a biopic on Paul and I's journey as podcasters. Yeah, that's what it is. Who's the Rachel McAdams in this scenario? I'm puzzled. I mean, I'm curious to hear who you think is. I feel like you, I think you probably think, and I probably agree that you're the Rachel McAdams in this scenario. You know, actually, I don't think so. I think, That's a really good question because who would be more delusional between the two of us and who would be more supportive? And I don't know that the the delusion thing might be, it's a pretty close contest between the two of us, honestly. I mean, we're both both delusional and supportive is kind of the problem. Yeah. 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 We, we act antagonistic toward one another, but it's all a lie. Speak for yourself. (laughs) I was. <laughs> I was. <laughs> now you have to sing me a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ding dong. Ding dong. Very good. <laughs> My love for you is so wide and long. See, I I just can't go there. You can't sing that part? It's a content Not... caveat right there. Well, that's what I was going to say. I have to say, of the many things that I have to say, that I really appreciated how subtle yaya <laughs> ding dong was yeah so subtle without being subtle i, I the writing is actually it's one of the most subtly unsubtle like it's so in your face and yet somehow you then actually say the lyrics out loud and you think well it's not it's not wrong there's nothing bad about it he's talking about the milky way and <laughs> like wait he meant what by milky way Oh, so, there you go. Yeah, yeah, ding yeah. dong. 
yeah. right out the gate. Well, really, it's not it's not Yaya yeah, yeah, Ding Dong right out the gate. It's Volcano Man. Volcano Man. Right. Or no, it's ABBA, really, right out the gate. It's ABBA. Yeah. You've you've heard that ABBA song, right? I have. Uh, wa- Waterloo? Waterloo. Yeah, I've never heard, like, the whole thing, but I've, I've heard of it. <laughs> I've heard clips. three minutes long. You could probably just sit through yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I think I listened to the first 15 seconds as an iTunes preview once and thought, eh, I'm good. So... I, I have a confession to make, and I suppose we should get to the actual movie, but yeah, one of the first albums I bought was ABBA. Huh. I did like me some ABBA when I was a little kid. 12 years old. Format. It was an actual album. You got the vinyl? You actually put it on the turntable, you put the needle on, you played Dancing Queen, Take a Chance on Me. They were pretty great songs. Yeah, ABBA's, ABBA's done some good work. Can't and apparently on. they got their start on Eurovision. Yeah. Yeah. So Eurovision, it, this is kind of interesting. I did have to do some research, unlike you, where I, because I was reviewing the thing, found out that the, the Eurovision Song Contest has been one of the longest running shows in the world. It started off in 1956. It is older than you and me combined. And that is very old. Well, not quite, actually. Not quite. Not quite. Um, but it's a it's a huge deal in Europe. Anywhere from a hundred million to six hundred million people watch it when it comes on. And and these all these countries with that within Europe and outside of Europe, Australia recently started competing in it. Um, they they send their what they consider their best singers, and they compete for their own pride and their national honor and. Um, this story is really about this, this, not this couple, this duo who are probably not brother and sister, who are vying to become Iceland's representative for the Eurovision Song Contest. So there, that's all there you go. A neatly succinct story summary right there. He set it up nicely. Uh, first of all, as an American, I have to say, I don't believe those numbers. They're they're just a lie. They're fake news. <laughs> Nobody watches anything more than the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is the most watched TV program in the world, and so I think I, the Super Bowl is the, still the most watched. Well, in the world. that's not true. If they get six hundred million people watching Eurovision, that's six times more than the Super Bowl. I'm not sure if that's true. Now I'm going to yeah. look it up. So I'm challenging your fake news right away, right out the gate. All right, how many people watch the Super Bowl? This is how. This is good radio right here. Yeah. Paul doing research. Uh, yeah. Oh, 98.2 million. That's not right. Worldwide. World. No, that's yeah. such a lie. It says. I, I, I told you. 5 million around the world. How so many? Eurovision. It. 98 million in the United yeah. States and then 65 million worldwide. Yeah. So, yeah. Eurovision so, Song Contest kicks the Super Bowl's keister. It's a bunch of fake news right there. <laughs> I just I just somehow denied the data and made my own point all at the same time. <laughs> Which is very American of me. <laughs> uh, very, very American of you. Those who... Uh, those, 
those who have watched the film understand how this is my my americanism is related to the film but uh apparently will ferrell is married to a swedish woman and that is the origin of his own obsession with the eurovision song contest that has led him to want to make this movie for apparently many years and you know a couple of years ago went to Europe to go behind the scenes on the actual Eurovision song contest so that he could write this movie. Will Ferrell wrote the Eurovision song contest movie after he became obsessed with it by being married to a Swedish woman. So there's a little bit of American backstory. Well, is Will Ferrell American or is he Canadian? He's American. Okay, good. Good. Now Rachel McAdams is actually Canadian. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's probably the biggest blotch on her record. Okay. Is the fact that she was born in Canada, oh my which really comes through because she doesn't do her own singing in this film, but Will Ferrell does because you know America, and Rachel McAdams <laughs> doesn't because Canada. Well, see, we could go a lot of different places with this, but man, whoever did Rachel McAdams' voice was really, really good. I did do some research on that. I I was thinking through the entire movie. Man, Rachel McAdams or whoever is playing her is really good. Yeah, one of the biggest flaws. Oh, a bird just landed on my basement window. <laughs> no joke, it's just hanging on the screen on my basement window. <laughs> it's singing a song. How appropriate. Oh. Uh so Squirrel. Squirrel. Uh yeah. One of the one of the worst sins of this movie is I think how poorly they lip synced Rachel McAdams on a lot of these songs. Have you know, what's that? I mean, it's a comedy. It's a comedy, but it's very obvious. She's not singing. Uh, However, the, you're right. The, the person they cast to be the song voice for Rachel McAdams is stellar. Uh, and so I did some research. Her name is Molly Menden. I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, but she's from Sweden. And she goes by uh, her like performing name is My Marianne. And uh, she has participated. She's tried out for your, like the uh, Swedish version of the contest that gets you to be the representative of your country for Eurovision. Like on her, she's tried out like half a dozen times. And has never gone to Eurovision herself. She has done only as good as second place in her own country's version of whatever they call. I forget. It's a long Swedish word. <laughs> that makes me a little uh, sad. She's worthy. She At least she made it in a Will Ferrell movie, you know? Right. That's- it's a weird, it's sort of like a weird victory for her that it's, I never made it, but Americans are going to think of me as the best Eurovision singer ever, which is sort of the most American thing that could happen in this movie, that we could take somebody who's never even made it on Eurovision and be like, yeah, you basically just won Eurovision by being in this movie. (laughs) It's true. I mean, when people think about who has won Eurovision, they're going to think ABBA. They might think Celine Dion. And then... Molly, that'll be that'll be Americans' version of of Eurovision for sure. That's right. So um, apparently, Eurovision is known for just being really kooky and quirky, you know, crazy costumes, weird songs, over the top, uh, the kind of thing that us Americans 
we just kind of poo poo if it's not our own version of over the top, right? You know, we're Will Ferrell's about as over the top as we're okay with. You know, I'm not sure if I buy that. I'm no? I'm really disagreeing with you in a in a place that we don't really do disagreements with. But I think that Americans one of the reasons why Americans like certain certain worldwide um shows is because they tend to be a little bit over the top for us. I mean, we we appreciate the craziness that goes along with them. I think that like I think of Ninja Warrior when that was a huge fad for for a while. My son and I watched Ninja Warrior all the time and it had sort of that same over the top feel. It was a Japanese show and now of course you have American Ninja Warrior, so it clearly was not just me and my son watching it. Well, but that's kind of my point is I I do remember when it was an obscure thing that, you know, this random cable channel was airing the, you know, Japanese version of Ninja Warrior. And it was very odd and weird and quirky. Uh, The Americanized version is not. not, We've completely sanitized the weirdness out of it. It's really, I I hate that version actually. So I think, uh, I think we like it voyeuristically. Like there's a seg- segments of it that like it in sort of a voyeurism way. Like we'll watch a YouTube clip of it. So, you know, that's sort of foreshadowing of our, maybe of my picks for our uh, sports, our sports uh, conversation. Like where we'll watch the clips of it. We'll laugh at it and be like, ah, those crazy people over there. And then if we bring it over here, we're like, well, we're going to make it our thing. Cause we're, that's America. Like, and then we completely ruin it. Right. Except in the case of the office. Except in the case of The Office. That is that is really the one exception. Yeah, I can't think of any other exceptions. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and, and in some ways, I was thinking about this as I was watching. Is it wrong for us? You know, because you watch, clearly it's very popular, popular in Europe. Right. And, and you have some of these things that, that, that get wildly popular, popular somewhere else. You know, Norway I always think about Norway and they have these these knitting contests that that run for 4 or 5 hours they get tremendous ratings out there and is it wrong for Americans to sort of watch it ironically to appreciate it ironically saying oh these crazy people over the over the ocean look at what they're into is that does that feel sort of wrong to you even though I sort of enjoy it right i I think it's complicated and it and it speaks to something I saw uh in my wife was looking at the BBC review of the Eurovision movie and you know one of the things they didn't like about it was the portrayal of Icelanders and they're like oh it's an ignorant portrayal of Icelanders and I was thinking to myself I was like I guess I'm still there's a part of me that's still okay with making fun of people that way. And I guess I'm still, you know, I, and I, where I still feel like I'm allowed to do it to people who are like me. So I say it's okay for me to make fun of Icelanders because they're Caucasian like me. You know, is that right? No. Is it American? Yes. Um, or is it human? Probably also. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. think there's, I think there's a fine line there. And I think that's probably what makes it hard is that I think there's got to be a point where we're able to kind of laugh at the goofiness and quirks and humanity that other people have where it's not mocking, but it's endearing. Yeah. But we're, it's a hard, it is a hard line to walk. See, and that's, that's interesting because it brings me to sort of my main takeaway from it. You, you, they do have some 
some over-the-top exaggeration of, of what we perceive Iceland to be. You know, very friendly, very small. Everybody goes to the same tavern to watch TV together. Um, lots of teen, funny Maybe has the same dad. <laughs> but at the same time, this was a really gentle portrayal. And, and I have to say, I was... Honestly, Jake, I don't know whether it was sort of the father-son story thing. We've gone over my father-son soft spot in movies all the time. But there was something about this movie that kind of touched me. Like, it it felt like it was, it touched my heart as much as it touched my funny bone, as weird as that sounds. Um, in this goofy, strange movie where a huge hamster wheel plays a very big role. It it was kind of a sweet movie in a way. And one of the things, one of the moments that I felt uh, most moved, oddly, was in a very critical scene, the Rachel McAdams character starts singing an Icelandic. And I right. felt like a weird sense of pride for Iceland. I am no... Right. Iceland and Shakespeare, but for some reason, I felt sort of Icelandic at that moment, and I felt kind of proud. It was a yeah. very strange sensation. Yeah, I looked over. I was watching with my wife, and I look over, and I see it looks like she's crying. And, yeah, and she she was like, "Oh my gosh!" And then we're talking about it afterwards, and she th- says, "the the song, the writing, the singing." It made me feel like I was there, like it transported me to a different place. And I knew what it was about, even though I I knew what it was felt like, even though I had never been there. Right, right. They did. They actually did a really good job of creating an Iceland, whether it's real or not, felt real. When you're right. sitting in the place, you could totally, you totally wanted to move there. You know, it felt this may be near and dear to your heart, but it felt a little like I imagine Wisconsin, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just good, decent people eating good, somewhat fatty food, never lock their doors, very friendly in the cold, in the cold, (laughs) enjoying their beer. Uh, Yeah, it, it managed to gently skewer in a way that didn't feel mean-spirited in a way that felt like i said endearing um and anecdotally i read some imdb user reviews and one user was supposedly self-identified as being an icelander and said get out of here with your take saying that this is offensive this is this this felt like this rang true to my soul as an icelander you know we're a little bit goofy and we're a little bit you know that yeah we are small and we like it small and we are a little bit odd and we like it that way and of course that's anecdotal but um yeah this movie did not feel mean-spirited the way many Will Ferrell movies have in the past i would totally agree with you there was something as much as they made fun of a lot of things from eurovision to iceland to the contestants to take part to believing in elves the whole bit you know i think that there there was a lot of fun making made and yet it felt very sincere oddly enough it felt honestly this this might have been will ferrell is a pretty funny guy he has made some not so funny movies this 
may be, I think, one of his, one of the sweeter movies I've seen him in, and funnier movies, actually, since Elf, honestly. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I'll say for me, it didn't quite come to the level of like a Stranger Than Fiction did. Oh, like yeah. Stranger Than Fiction is brilliant, I think. Um, but it did feel like this sweet, for me, it felt like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty and Blades of Glory and Pitch Perfect all got together and had a baby together in a way only a modern, you know, trio could. Yeah. 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 I, I, it's, it's interesting because I think that, that reactions to this movie have been sort of all over the board. I think it has a 58% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, 47 on Metacritic or Metascore. Yeah. Yeah. And you scroll through the, the reviews on it and some people say it's very sweet and kind and has heart and all that kind of stuff. And it's very funny. Other people think it just totally didn't work. For me, it really worked. Yeah. I have to say, I think this is pro- in, in, in a good way for me in 2020. This is about as close to a nothing fluff popcorn feel good movie as I've seen in a while. It does not have a deep message. You're not going to come away with it with any profound insights on the human condition or society or pop culture. It's You're just going to enjoy the music. You're going to get a couple of chuckles. You're going to, aw, and then you're going to cry at the end when this incredible Icelandic song <laughs> unexpectedly cuts you off at the knees. And you're not going to learn a darn thing from it, but it's going to feel good. Yeah, you know, although I think you're you're right. This is not a life-changing movie by any means. And as a role of, of a reviewer, I have to say it definitely has some problems. This is not, you know, a movie for the whole family necessarily. No. As light, as light and sincere as it feels, there are certainly some things where you would be quite embarrassed if your 13-year-old yeah. were to be yeah. watching it with you. You definitely want to take caution with that. But at the same time, I really liked the message. You know, I really liked um, the Will Ferrell character has a very difficult relationship with his dad, Pierce, played by Pierce Brosnan, who is great in this movie. And, you know, as as the movie sort of goes along, you can see that the Pierce Brosnan father, Eric is his name, he does not really appreciate Lars's passion for the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, he goes to the to the song contest and something terrible happens. The father actually says, "This is this feels like a spoiler warning. We need to do a spoiler warning." Spoiler warning! Paul is about to spoil something from Eurovision Song Contest: The Story of Fire Saga. You've been warned. But the dad says, "You know, the dad he sees this disaster happen on stage. He walks out of the bar, apparently disgusted, right?" Lars flies home. He decides to become a fisherman, give up his dreams. And then during this really strangely touching boat scene, while they're both fishing, he says, you showed that you have the Viking spirit. You showed that no matter how bad things get, you will never say die. You will never stop doing what you're doing. And I think that that... This is not a new message. This is something that you read on, you know, inspirational posters in your boss's office or whatnot. It's still a good message. You know, it's still a great message to say, 
what happens when the worst happens? Are you going to push on or are you going to fold? I like the message that you're going to push on. That's something that sometimes I need to hear more of. Yeah. It's there. It's plain as day. It's not, it, you know, it's not a parable <laughs> in, in the truest sense. It's, you know, they just about tell it to you straight up, but they do. <laughs> it's uh it's an enjoyable one. You, you watch it and you're like, I liked it. The jokes don't come hard and fast the way they, you know, you, again, you might be used to in a Will Ferrell setting it. The film takes its time. It kind of meanders around a bit. It's happy to sit on some of these song sequences, but you're okay with it because the spirit of it feels very sweet and you're like, this is a nice little break. It felt sweet right. and genuine and generous in an odd sort of way where most, I think, I think oftentimes comedies can feel just mean. I mean, we've, we've said this in this segment, but they can feel mean. This one felt strangely generous. Yeah. I, that's I mean, they, they even found a way to make murder and body dismemberment by explosion <laughs> feel genuine and sweet. <laughs> I was really surprised to see Demi Lovato in there, by the way. Was that a surprise? It was a surprise. It was a surprise. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, I did not expect Eurovision Song Contest, the Story of Fire saga, I had to say it just for the tongue twister cred, um, to, I did not expect it to be what it was. And I think I ended up appreciate appreciating it. It's one that I felt ended up being more than the sum of its parts. Like you start picking it apart, the story, the characters, the acting, the lip syncing, you're like, yeah, it's not amazing. This wasn't great. It could have been funnier. It could have done this better and that better. And yet at the end, you think I had a nice time. That's exactly right. I had a nice time. I had a nice time. I had a nice time watching it. I had a worse time writing the review. But... <laughs> Because he had to be so critical of the Greek statues. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, you do not. Oh man, Jake! If only they could they could cut twenty minutes out of this movie, and it would be really sweet, really innocent, really. I could watch this with, you know, future grandkids. But no. right, yeah, but no. And true. That's that's true. Will Ferrell fashion that. Outside of Elf, even the ones you really just think, oh, I want to watch this with the whole family. And then there's just a couple of parts where you think, Dagnabbit. That's exactly right. Dagnabbit is right. A great use case for VidAngel, though, perhaps. Mm. Which you can filter your streaming, your Netflix uh, things, your Netflix subscription through. You just uh, cut out a scene with the Greek statue here, another one there, and all of a sudden you got yourself a PG-13 movie. I do not approve of censorship. Depending on – is that – that's not censorship. It's, it's censorship. fast-forwarding. Censorship. We'll move on. All or nothing. You want, the Greek, you want the Greek phallic symbols or nothing? I might have just gotten myself into trouble. We'll skim over. <laughs> uh, now Paul's really going to have to rely on my editing skills. Um, or, you know, the nice thing is for those of you that don't want to endure, if you really hate Will Ferrell, the soundtrack is available, you know, for purchase at pretty much any streaming platform that you want. You can, you can get what I anticipate will be a nominee for the 2021 Academy Awards, Husevik song. 
Yeah. You agree with me on that, Paul? Yeah, yeah, no, that was a very nice song. And and I actually loved the song along. I really dug the song along. It made me happy. So But I didn't I didn't listen I don't know Cher, so it didn't yeah, spark didn't, anything in me. You didn't know Cher. Oh well. That's all right. So there you have it. Eurovision song contest, the story of Fire Saga. Paul, any closing remarks? No. <laughs> I rest my case. It was, now, it was sweet. It was genuine. It was foul in disappointing places. But man, for a Will Ferrell movie, it worked. It works. Now, from obscure music to obscure sports, it's time for Rank Geeks. rank geeks the place where two smelly nerds put stuff in numerical order occasionally where at least one smelly nerd puts stuff the other one might smell fine i I tell you what i don't know who's the smelly one i think i am today because it's 90 degrees out i have no air conditioning in my house uh, so you probably smell sweeter than i do well, you say that, and I showered, and I put on deodorant, and I put on my nice dress shirt, and then two hours later, I'm walking out of the bathroom, and I say, who came down here without <laughs> cleaning up after themselves? And it was me. I smelled bad after I didn't – I have air conditioning, and I showered, and I wore deodorant. Apparently, the shirt just – you know, maybe the odor just lingered through the wash. It was a clean shirt. You know, does this does this fall under the uh, the heading too much information? Maybe. I think it does. Maybe. TMI. I'll do a second opener for safety. <laughs> or maybe I'll just use that one since I'm talking about my own TMI. Guys, we're human beings, Paul and I. Sometimes, as much as I joke about us being smelly nerds, sometimes at least one of us is really a smelly nerd. <laughs> and it's a fitting for this one where uh, we're talking about obscure sports from either around the world or wherever if you're Paul. It does I never specified that it had to be from around the world. No, that was and, my own choice. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was it, we actually got started talking about it with a with a good old American sport that was a little bit on. That's right. And uh what sport was that if you want to jog people's memories? I'm not saying. You know, Paul's not going to say cuz it's probably going to show up on his list. It will. Um <laughs> But you know we've uh, we've had a bit of a a lack of sports in the summer of spring and summer of 2020. Mm. Something that has been much to the detriment of both Paul and I's mental health, I'm sure. Very much so. Uh, I was, uh, I mean, the basketball season, the NBA, the NBA season was a bit of a wash for me since my Warriors, you know, really just fell apart in October. Um, you knew they were going to be terrible. Right. I was ready for it. So I wasn't watching that, but I was ready. For, I also wanted some good playoffs and I didn't get the playoffs. Yeah. See, the nut- knows if I will anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has really been a very sad time for sports lovers. And I, I really do. I mean, one of my favorite things to do on the weekends is, is just watch some sports while doing some other things, you know, puttering around. I can, I can have some sports on even while I'm doing some writing, 
Um, it's hard for me to sit and watch, like, unless it's the Denver Broncos, I can watch a full three-hour game of the Denver Broncos. But generally speaking, I have a hard time sitting still for that long. Yeah. I still really miss it. Really yeah. miss it. It's a bummer. So we thought, uh, let's let's kind of scrub through in the absence of our major sports. Let's give some extra airtime to some of these obscure sports, and perhaps we can turn them into majors one day. Or maybe not. Maybe maybe none of them need to be. One of mine at least needs to be. I'm heavily rooting for this to become an international sensation. Uh, but you'll have to keep listening to the list to find out what one that is for me. So without further ado, Paul, number five on your list of obscure sports for people to watch while major sports are out to lunch. See, you're changing the whole concept of the, of the countdown because these oh, are... These are not, not necessarily going on right now. They huh? might they might not be going on right now. Yeah, but you can find YouTube clips. And yeah. since they're obscure, you, like people got to get up to speed. Like, sure, they're not watching them live, but we all got to go watch the YouTube, figure out the rules, check out the Wikipedia page, catch some highlights, get hyped, you know, start building the grassroots campaign for them to be added to the 2021s that was supposed to be 2020 Olympics, you know, all those kind of, all this kind of good stuff. So, I mean, all right. All right. Like, you know, I'm, I, I know that they're most of them aren't live right now, but they're ones you can watch right now because you're not distracted by what's going on right now. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That's I, the title. I understand. Yes, I got it. Live on air. This is good radio. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not, but that's all right. We're we're cruising because I'm I'm good with everything these days. <laughs> Paul's just like whatever. This might whatever. Be Number five for me, and it's I like don't. You made me sing "Ya Ya Ding Dong," so <laughs> I don't even know whether this qualifies as an obscure sport. But it was obscure to me when I first watched it, and that is curling. Curling, curling is one of the greatest sports ever ever so a few years back several years back actually um about three winter olympics ago my son and i you know we're flipping on the tv we wanted to watch a little bit of olympics before i go to work before he goes to school we see curling and we think this has got to be the silliest sport of all time you have these people sweeping ice like crazy while people throw a humongous rock down to land in like some sort of target so it felt as quirky as an olympic sport can this side of synchronized swimming we watched it ironically for about 10 minutes and then we got so engrossed we started we started watching it every single morning we knew the strategy we knew how to do the sweeping we were we were totally hooked so much so that when the uh when the national curling championships came to broomfield colorado near where i mm -hmm. live yeah, yeah we got tickets we got, got tickets. to watch it live and it was it was just as thrilling <laughs> in person as it was on tv it really is a great sport it it's cool i that's all i can say if if anyone has watched curling for more than 15 minutes i think they'd be hooked i mean i think it's cool in sort of like a big lebowski kind of way where it's cool because it's completely uncool <laughs> i mean the outfits are ridiculous if anybody was wearing that anywhere else you'd be like that's that's a great a tool right there 
But out on the curling on the ice, you think, all right, I could wear that. I could see myself in those slacks and those polos. And I could see myself shouting at a bunch of people sweeping down the ice. Hard, like, that, seems, that seems pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like crazy. Uh. It's cool in how un and how much it how little it cares about being cool. It, it does feel a little like a Will Ferrell movie in and of itself, actually. I kind of think that's going to be his next one, don't you think? Yeah, I, but it seriously is. It's a great sport with great strategy. I'm not saying that the people who do curling are necessarily, you know, the best of athletes. They're clear they clearly don't have to be. I, I think that I could, if I was, you know, skilled at all, even even at the, the ripe old age that I am, I think I could probably do okay. You, know? you still have a shot to be in the Olympics. I still have a shot to be in the Olympics. I, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine, an old editor of mine, she got into curling about the same time I did. She started playing for a local curling team. And now she's like on this mixed doubles curling nationally ranked team that goes, flies all over to Finland and Iceland and all sorts of places to compete. And she started the same time I was watching. So this is absolutely going to be a Will Ferrell, John C. Riley film. The villain is going to be Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth as their, you know, European opponents. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's a great sport. It truly is. Number five on my list features a lot more physical contact than curling which you know curling's a great coronavirus sport because there's pretty much zero physical contact yeah uh you know other than the two people who are you know brushing in front of the stone and breathing and spitting in each other's faces about two feet from the ice they they got to figure that part out uh but for me i'm not even i don't even know if i'm going to pronounce this right but for me number five on my list is called kabaddi kabaddi have you heard of Kabaddi? No, I have not heard of Kabaddi. It, uh, it's very popular in India, and it's a contact team sport played between two teams of seven. And the objective of the game is a single player on the offense, referred to as a raider, to run into the opposing team's half of the court, tag out as many of the defenders as possible, and to re- then to return to their side of the court without being tackled by the defenders they were attacking, all within a single breath. <laughs> How can they tell if he takes a breath or not? So they, the way they tell the way, like the way they can tell if somebody takes a breath is that the attacker has to be shouting, "Kabadi, kabadi, 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 the entire time that they're attacking their opponent, so that the referee can tell if they're taking a breath. Because you pause, kabadi, kabadi, and it's like, ah, nope, you're that's sorry, that's a point. You know, the other team, and kind of brilliant. That's so great. this is a, a legit thing. Like, you know, it can be played in the dirt if you can draw lines in the dirt, but they also have multicolored courts that they play and broadcast on national television in India where they have, you know, legit jerseys and teams and sponsors and uh, tournaments that they play and people pick their teams and, they try crazy moves, and it, it's just a fascinating thing to watch these grown men holding hands, dancing back and forth across lines, 
uh, trying to tag each other and then run away and then not get plowed to the ground. So it's like a full, it's a game of tag that's got some full contact rugby as well as uh, holding your breath because sure. <laughs> and you can find a bunt. It's spelled K A B A D D I. And you Google that you can get some fun highlights, some Kabaddi highlights. So there you go. Number five on my list. Kabaddi. Very nice. Very nice. Number four on my list is one that I'm not even sure if you're going to be able to find any YouTube clips of. Woo. I know. I know because it really is a sport that sort of went away about the time that, that Columbus landed in America. Well, then, uh, how do we know it even existed? Because there are pictures of it all over the place. I'm talking about the Mayan ball game. Mayan slash Aztec slash, you know, mid-America ball game that was played for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. Have you heard about this game? Uh, no. The game, oh. so, I mean, it sounds like the original Infinite Jest. It was the game that was so good, everybody in that culture died. <laughs> I think that's really wrong. I can't believe you said that. I think I'm sure that's wrong. Is that not science? <laughs> so- Anyways. Tell me about the Mayan ball game. Obviously, they didn't do it very well or else they could have continued to populate. Well, see, and here's the thing with the Mayan ball game, because it was a super, super, you think that we take football seriously. The ball game was very, very serious. The most classic Mayan myth story, myth cycle of stories features the Mayan ball game where you have, you know, people who play it and they're bothering the gods of the underworld. And so there's like a big conflict that happens because of it. So the Mayan ball game goes way, way, way back. And essentially what it did, what you had to do is you were competing, you were running down this huge, huge field, every ancient Mayan and Aztec and and ancient American ruin has a ball court. uh, Because it mentions it was, you know, it's sort of varied from place to place. It was a little okay. like baseball, you like know, baseball it's yeah. not quite the same as Yankee stadium. Got that. I like that. I like that. So, but it did, did feature two hoops on the side. The later versions involved two hoops on the side. You had to get in the, the, the holes were very small. You had to get a very hard rubber ball through those holes. The thing <laughs> was you couldn't, you couldn't actually grab it. You had to do it by hitting it with your hips or your legs, mm. or your shoulders, maybe your elbows. And See? if you got okay. one of these little hoops, you would win. And if you lost, they would execute you. That was yes. it. That's um, See, I, my that is how they uh, the Mayan civilization ended. They lost. <laughs> they lost to Columbus. Yeah, no. The, the, is, I, I think isn't that history? Sailors were particularly good at this game. They were not man enough for this game, I'll tell you. Well, I don't see how the why didn't the then I don't know. It just seems like seems like we're in some racist territory here and we should backpedal away slowly. I, I'm not in that territory. <laughs> I I didn't invent the game. I don't know. I don't I don't I don't think people should be killed because they lose because they're not as good playing with balls as somebody else. Like look, you play with your balls, I'll play with mine, and None of us has to die. We're just going to move on. <laughs> I'm just talking about sports. Sports <laughs> contests. 
Okay, yes. <laughs> Number four on my list is a uh, a sport called Octopush. 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 Hmm. Or uh, less fun, but more accurately, underwater hockey. <laughs> Have you ever seen underwater Ooh. hockey? Wow. It looks like a... Uh, it looks like a very odd thing to see all these bodies swirling and writhing around in the water, flipping back and forth with tiny little sticks in their hands as they try to move a rock across the bottom of a swimming pool and then go back up for air and so hold their breath the whole time. They're not, they don't have like, like oxygen tanks or anything. Right. They don't have oxygen tanks. They, it looks like they use most, uh, most players will wear snorkels, so that if they come up for air, they can still maintain a visual on the puck. Exactly. That's important. Um, and uh, I have watched several underwater hockey highlight videos, and I've yet to see anybody score a goal. So I think, <laughs> I think it's actually just one big game that never ends because nobody can ever score. Because you watch, you watch the people get, you know, try to swim to the bottom with their tiny little sticks, and they can move the puck about two inches at a time. And then they have to swim back up for air while somebody then moves it two inches in the other direction. And, and, uh, you know, it's just a, but it's somehow in the midst of such a low scoring game, it's mesmerizing to watch these people in their flippers and their snorkels (laughs) in a pool, just swimming back and forth from the bottom to the top to move their weighted puck two inches at a time. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a sport I need to watch that. Sounds pretty great, actually. Yeah, it's a hundred percent a train wreck, and yet you, because of that, you can't take your eyes away. And the website was created for like the U.S. Underwater Hockey League was like created in 2010, and it still says this site is under construction and coming soon. <laughs> but yet the sport persists, and you can still find YouTube highlight videos, even though they don't have a very good or convincing uh, digital presence. Hmm. Um, so. I'm convinced it's going to break out soon. I am sure it is on the verge of becoming an Olympic sport. They just need the right marketing team, Octopush. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Number three for me. Number three for me. This is what started it all. Lumberjack competitions. Lumberjacking. Lumberjack competitions. This was... My first favorite sport was actually motocross racing. When I was when I was like eight years old, nine years old, couldn't care at all about sports. Then I saw motocross racing. It was pretty cool. People were jumping over hills and riding these cool motorcycles. And I thought, okay, sports are all right. That's all right. I thought, okay, well, I don't like sports, but I like motocross. And then on the wide world of sports on ABC... I saw this lumberjack competition where people were running along these logs trying to knock the other people who were also running on the logs off. And I thought, this is the greatest sport. Why is football so popular and no one's heard of lumberjack competitions? I didn't understand it because it was super cool. Super cool. Way better than baseball. Yeah, and they cut it diagonals and... Yeah, yeah. You climb trees. 
So much stuff. You take, you have chainsaws that saw through big old trees as fast as you possibly can. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, again, you just need better marketing. Yeah. I think you would actually do pretty good in those, those lumberjack competitions, Jake. Oh yeah. Why's that? Yeah. I don't know. The beard. The beard beard makes you look like you should be taking part. And I know you were an athlete at one point in time. I was. Uh, but not a lumberjacking athlete. I didn't have the chainsaw skills that some of my peers had. I was better at tossing pigs in their skins than I was at <laughs> juggling chainsaws. So it's a detriment to me today. Yeah, um, it is because you could still be a top quality lumberjacker, like a top ranked lumberjack opponent. I'm sure. That's right. But it feels like one of those things I could get into even later in life. So maybe I still have time to transition. Yeah. Well, number three. Oh, whoa, that young came out of nowhere. Mid sentence. Uh, not at all about lumberjacking. Um, number three on my list is uh, a sport that has been has gone by many different names. Uh, one is purring. Uh, another is shin diggings, but we more commonly know it as shin kicking. Shin kicking. Shin kicking. Uh, it It is exactly what you think it is. It's a combat sport that involves two contestants attempting to kick each other in the shin in order to force the other opponent to the ground. It has, by some, been referred to as England's only martial art. <laughs> and it is the most amazing, just ridiculous like when you watch highlights of shin kicking you feel like you're in the middle of a christopher guest documentary (laughs) mockumentary because they put white lab coats essentially on contestants that are supposed to look like old-timey shepherd's coats and then you have contestants just latch onto each other's shoulders and then uh, oh wait no no i missed a step they shove straw into their socks well, you would have to, so you're not breaking shins, right? Yeah, then you grab onto each other's shoulders, and then you just start kicking the crap out of each other's shins. Man. Until somebody, fall, somebody falls down. This is a sport I would not want to participate in. And not yet, a little bit. many people do. And the best thing about it is the person uh, who referees the match is called a stickler. <laughs> And they make sure that you play fair when you're kicking the crap out of your opponent's shins. Uh, and it's fantastic because you have two, and it you know it looks like it's primarily men, though it doesn't say that women can't participate. Uh, but weirdly, in most of the highlight videos I watched, it was men who were participating. And you know the good thing about men facing each other, holding each other's shoulders, and trying to kick the crap out of each other's shins is there's no other part of the body that could accidentally get kicked by an errant uh, you know, shin. <laughs> and so you just have two dudes squaring off and wailing each other in the shins and the groin until one of them falls down. And it's an official, it's a, an officially unofficial sport in the UK. So there you go. Shin kicking. Check out okay. those YouTube highlights. So I, I have to ask you this in for our number three picks. What would you actually rather do yourself, lumberjacking or shin kicking? Absolutely, I'd rather do lumberjacking. 
What do you think you would would you be better at? Shin kicking for sure. I'd probably be better at shin kicking. <laughs> All right. Number two for me. This is a classic sport from the very country of Finland. Mm. But it has migrated to North America because they even have their own championship here stateside. It is the contest called wife carrying. Wife carrying. Yes. It started off in 19th century Finland. People had to carry their wives. They raced. They raced. They did a like a a sprint essentially, carrying their wives over their shoulders. I think that there there are certain weight limits on their wives that they they have to be within a certain weight limit. Um, if they drop their wives, then there's an automatic 15 second penalty, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure other penalties once they get home. Yeah, yeah. So it has gone to to <laughs> it has gone to North America. Um, it was founded here in 1995, and and it's it looks like Maine is the main place where you can participate in wife carrying here in the United States. So I haven't migrated very far into yeah, the US. If you're really interested in in carrying your wife for sport, that's the sport to do it in. And really uh, I have watched some wife carrying competitions, and uh, it seems that as the the carrying holds have evolved. They've just gotten more and more awkward where like now they carry the wives upside down and backwards where, you know, she's just got to follow along with her face and her husband's butt. Yeah. It's kind of ironic because the pictures that at least in modern wife carrying competitions, it doesn't look like the, the guy is doing any carrying at all. It looks like the wife is holding on for dear life, you know, however she can grasp. Right. Guy. So, just I don't call know. husband holding. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make you wonder whether there there might be sort of a switcheroo for, you know, particularly scrawny husbands with, you know, strong wives. Whether they they might be able to to switch that up a little bit because it seems a little bit discriminatory right now. You know. Right. Yeah, I think eventually, especially if they're uh, eventually they gotta. I don't know. Maybe they have to have two different uh, classes, you know. Yeah. yeah. Husband carrying and wife carrying. Maybe they're forced to do them at the same time. Um, it is a. It is. A, I just. It's a sport that I cannot imagine the conversation a couple has to begin their journey to compete in this sport. Would you, would you like to do this? Would you like to to? Can I carry? How, for- yeah. How does it sound? What? Hear me out. Hear me out. You'll be upside down for, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes um, backwards. Your face will be in my butt as I'm running through mud and water. Uh, you know, mud will be flying up off my cleats into your, your head and your hair and your mouth um, when you're not breathing in my farts as I'm running. Is that like, are you ready to be a world champion? Like, are you ready to do this with me? <laughs> uh, you have to be like, yeah, I'm down. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. You have to have a lot of, I mean, I, I would think that there have been divorces over this. Don't you think that would be a tricky thing? So. I, I would think, but then again, 
to be at a level, I cannot imagine being at a level in my relationship where I could seriously have that initial conversation that I just described and say, yes, we're, I'm, we're in this together. Let's go do it. And I kind of think if you can get to a point in your relationship where you can have that conversation and decide to do this together, I don't know if anything could tear you apart. Those are probably the best marriages in the world. What would training look like? What would right? training look like? Would you run up, you know, would you do like the, the here in, in Colorado Springs, you have a big mountain that you run up the incline. Would incline. you incline with the, your wife on your back just to. You have to. I mean, if you wanted to be the best. Exactly. Exactly. So, <sighs> frankly, I'm, I'm, I just have to think we all need marriage counseling from couples who do wife carrying because they've got to just be the, have the strongest bond that I can imagine a couple having. Literally. In Literally. some ways, you know, during the competition, the bond has got to be strong. That's right. Number two for me comes from Japan. It's not Ninja Warrior. It's, uh, I'll probably bosh, I'll probably uh, botch the pronunciation just the way I botched the pronunciation of botch by saying bosh. Uh, but it's called Bo Taoshi. <laughs> Bo Taoshi. And uh, it translates into pole toppling. Pole toppling. Pole toppling. So what Bo Taoshi looks like in practice, Do you, if, if you watched the movie or saw the trailer for the movie World War Z with Brad Pitt, where you see just all these crazy mutant zombies clamoring up one another and pouring over walls, you know, and breaching. Yes. Like, yes. That is what Bo Taoshi looks like, where you have these teams – uh, two teams of 150 individuals. So 150 <laughs> versus 150. Oh my goodness. And one team of 150 has a pole at the center of their group that they are holding up. And they're all 150 gathered around their pole, holding it up vertically. And then the other team of 150 just charges full bore and just runs and people are jumping to run on top of the other crowd of 150. And so that they can clamor up to the top, like onto this pole to start pulling it down while the other team of 150 tries to keep it vertical. And there's one of the people, one of the 150 people sits on top of the pole and tries to push people down as they try to climb up to help pull it down uh, horizontal and so the game ends when the attacking team has been able to get the pole to an angle of uh, 30 degrees respective to the ground. Goodness gracious. Cannot imagine. That sounds insane. It it's sounds absolutely insane. You just see this mass of bodies jumping and clawing and climbing and pushing and kicking and screaming. And like, you see, you know, when you see people run on tops of trees in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, when the, the attacking teams come in, you see dudes that look like they think they're going to do that over the top of the crowd of defenders. They just come jumping in to like, I'm just going to run on top of your heads <laughs> and I'm going to take your pole down. <laughs> your pole is mine. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I would never, ever do that. You could pay me no. a lot of money. No. Yeah. So anyways, they've been, they've been playing it for a really long time. Uh, they changed the rules in 1973. You used to only have to get it to 45 degrees in relation to the ground. But in the seventies, they're like, nah, this, this game's too easy. Everybody's winning too fast. 
we want to lengthen the games. You got to get it down to 30 degrees. Good. To the ground. And it's like a matter of pride. Like at Japanese military academies, they split their cadets like up into teams and they practice and they practice and they have a big competition. And if you win, it's a, you know, a badge of honor. So I got to say, of all the sports that you have brought up, this is the one that I would buy tickets to see. Yeah. I would totally go see this event. I, if there was a lumberjack competition going on and, and this particular, what do you call it again? Botaoshi. Botaoshi. Oh, that'd be tough. I might, I might have to see Botaoshi. Well, the nice thing is though, when you think about it, it would fit very well inside of the framework of a lumberjack competition. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> you know, you just you just have this part of the this event would come after you had them cut down some big trees yeah. and then then they whittle them down into poles and then all of a sudden you're set for Botaoshi. There you go. It sounds perfect. Yeah. Sounds perfect. Merge it right in. All right, number one for you, Paul. All right, number one for me. I am going to go extraordinarily local here because this was a sport that I used to cover back in the day a little bit when I was a newspaper reporter and that would be the Emma Crawford coffin races uh I've heard of I've heard of the Emma Crawford coffin races but uh given my distaste for all things Halloween I've never been you you know that this is my type of race right yeah this is Paul's jam it, it stems from 1889. There was a young woman named Emma Crawford who died, sadly, of tuberculosis here in the neighboring town of Manitou Springs, Colorado. As one did in Manitou As Springs in 1889. She was buried at the top of this mountain called Red Mountain because she was fairly wealthy. Her family was fairly wealthy. They could bury her wherever she wanted. And that's where she wanted to be buried. But unfortunately, that that winter and spring and the next winter and the next spring, they had some pretty serious rains. And eventually, the coffin made its way out of the grave and all the way down to town. It just swooshed all the way down into town. So it was an awkward moment for for Emma Crawford, for sure. Um, But it did inspire a whole festival in her honor. (laughs) Hot dang, Emma! Why didn't we think of that? So every year, the world record holder. This year, this year it might not happen because of obviously the coronavirus. But every year, um, they have a whole bunch of people who race coffins down the main street in Manitou Springs, and so you have four people who who push the coffins. There's a guy who, or a girl who rides in the middle, steering the coffin as best they can. And so, yes, it's it's a whole festival around coffin races. They decorate the coffins. It's quite, it's quite the shindig, quite the shindig. It really seems like it's a sport that would be very adaptable to COVID on multiple fronts. <laughs> like the original, you know, the origin story of the sport was a single racer. <laughs> <laughs> And so you just have to adapt it to instead of four people pushing, which is cheating, according to Emma, as I see it, you it has to be self-propelled. Yeah. And if you die either from crashing or from getting COVID and dying, you're actually honoring the spirit of Emma Crawford. 
<laughs> and it saves so much trouble. It saves so much trouble because there you are. There you are. You're already in your coffin. So, yeah. I mean, really, it seems like that should be the new national sport. In that the really took a dark turn there. <laughs> That's all right. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back with the world's greatest sport that truly I, uh, I try to decry most conspiracy theories, but uh, when it comes to the sport of CPAC Takra, I have to think that there's a global conspiracy to suppress this sport. Because when you watch highlights of CPAC Takra, you're like, this should be the world's number one sport in the universe. This should outdo even football. CPAC Takra? Isn't Tok- that? Takra. Takra. That sounds like that sounds like a, you know, one of those self help gurus, doesn't right. it? Like D or like the the Deepak Chopra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's called, and I might I could totally be pronouncing it wrong, but it's a sport that's native to Malaysia, and we might translate it as kick volleyball. Kick volleyball. Kick volleyball. So, so it's you like have a ball game. What's that? It's like the Mayan ball game. It it. Except that there's no hoops and oh. nobody has to die after the game. <laughs> well, that seems a poor substitute. So okay. it's a little bit, it's a little bit more suited to uh, cultures that don't like euthanasia or uh, genocide. There we go. Uh, which makes it more suited for most of the modern world. Um, so, anyways, it's you have a net that is. Height wise, probably closer to a badminton net, maybe even a, like or a cross between a badminton and a tennis net. And you use a ball that's maybe about the size of a softball, maybe a little bit bigger, and it's a woven ball out of different materials. And uh, you you have to volley it back and forth over the net, but you cannot use your hands or your arms. You can only use, you, but you can use your head, your shoulders. You can use your knees and your toes, your feet. And these are when you watch volleys from professional like Malaysian uh, CPAC Takra players, I've never seen athletes do the things they do and have such insane body control. These people are doing flips and to do spikes with their feet. Flips? Yes. Are they just showing up? Is like there any no, like to position their body to like because you think about the angle you need to get a ball to spike a ball without using your hand over a net. You have to position your feet in such a way to have a downward trajectory. And so you're doing these crazy flips and high kicks and down kicks and 360 gainers. I mean, and, and then the team on the other side is saving it and managing to volley it back. And they have these insane runs. Like I have never seen a sport that just made me think, like you know, there's a lot of sports you watch and you think, "Oh, I could do that." You watch CPAC Takra, you're like, "How can any human being in the history of the world do that?" <laughs> this has to be fake. It's incredible. I have never seen anything like it. And the good news is, their league in Malaysia just signed a deal with the Olympic Channel to start streaming it via the Olympic Channel, which means it could have a pathway to the Olympics soon. Wow! Or if you have at least if you have the Olympic Channel, you can watch it. Or you could at least watch the Malaysian version. I would totally watch that. I would totally. It's insane. Like out of all of these sports, like you have to Google S E P A K T A K R A W or just kick volleyball and watch some of these highlights on YouTube. Like you just, 
I do not, I f- truly do not understand how this has not taken over the globe. <laughs> the fact that it's humanly impossible. And I can, I think only aliens can play it. Only, <laughs> only aliens and Malaysians. Well, well, now that's getting into a whole different thing. Um, only aliens from outer space who apparently only landed in Malaysia and decided to hog it to themselves. Gotcha. Because this is an incredible sport. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to watch highlights. I've never heard of it before. So you, you gave me a new sport to, uh, to watch. Yes, please. Highlight, highlight it up with Wendy tonight and then report back. All, All right. right. All right. We'll do that. You got to do it. All right. There you have it. Our rank geeks of some obscure sports that you can fill your quarantine getting caught up on. And uh, what's what's maybe one that we missed, like uh, cow drag racing in in uh, that has its own crazy name, where they literally hold on to the tails of cattle and race on their feet, and then get drug on their feet through flooded rice paddies, and then sell the cows afterwards. <laughs> and it has a crazy name that I'm forgetting, you know. But that's a real one. Kaji. What's that? Buzkaji. Buzkaji. Yeah, it's a it's a sport in Afghanistan where you oh, yes. literally means goat bashing and you <laughs> drag a goat carcass around a field and it's sort yeah. of like and then you throw it into a goal, I think. So Yeah, it's like polo with a dead goat. Yeah. So there are some pretty great sports out there in the wide world of sports. Not many of them are going to show up on ESPN and that's a that's a shame. That is a crying shame. It is a shame. <laughs> Let us know which ones you've come across or invented on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Now it's time for the most least important thing. Here we are, the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. It's the segment that we decide whatever we want it to be. We can make a big deal out of little things, a little deal out of big things, get ourselves in all sorts of trouble, or at least I do. It's the most least important thing. Being in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the segment where I try to drag Paul into all sorts of craziness. <laughs> but this time I promised I wouldn't. So. <laughs> break for one week i'm giving paul a break this week with sharing a a mostly important thing about uh, a little factoid that came to the surface about an event that was would have been a perfect most least important thing 10 years ago and that was uh, an espn sports special called the decision wherein lebron james who is a free agent in the nba Uh, had a massive one-hour-long special on ESPN wherein he was going to reveal his decision about the team he was going to go play for. And he was much – there were people that saw it as a very baller and, like, rich person move. You know, uh, like Dave Ramsey says, rich people do rich people things. And there were other people that saw it as a very self-involved thing and other people that just saw it as entirely bizarre and uh, unlabelable. What is this thing? And LeBron, you know, has recovered. People, you know, he's most – I honestly had kind of forgotten about the decision at this point 10 years later until it was revealed on an ESPN document – like a little ESPN documentary this week in 2020 that 
the decision, the TV show version, was not LeBron James's idea or even the idea of his posse, but was instead a radio listener, a guy who listened to Bill Simmons' radio show, who had submitted an email to Bill Simmons' mailbag column that Bill Simmons then took to LeBron James's team. And so this random 20-year-old dude who wrote a random question to a random radio show that he listened to, a writer, Bill Simmons, was the guy who inspired LeBron James to do this widely controversial decision show. Wow. Wow. One 20-year-old, one letter, almost almost completely upended LeBron James's career. I mean, That's not right. really career, but yeah, he, he lost a lot of fans for that. He did. He betrayed a, a, his loyal fan base in Cleveland, if you choose to see it that way. I don't choose to see professional sports that way, but a lot of people do. And then the way he did it lost him a lot of people who thought, oh, he's being a big diva. And again, that's not like I might have been tempted to think that at the time. I kind of could care less now. But all of that stemming from, you know, some dude in his mid-20s saying, you know, LeBron should make his decisions like high schoolers make the decision when they decide where to go to college. <laughs> they should do a TV show version of that. Uh, and sure enough, LeBron did. So there you go, kids. You too could influence the life of a multi-billionaire. Hasn't been done since, I notice. That's right. <laughs> so there you go. There's my most least important thing. All right. This, my most least important thing, qualifies both as a most important thing and least important thing. Perfect. So you're familiar with Quibi, right? Quibi, the TV app? The, the, the TV app where you stream 10-minute episode or less um, on, on your phone. It was designed for your phone to move around. You watch these little short episodes. It felt like I have reviewed a few shows on Quibi. It, honestly, it felt like kind of a waste of time. Until and that's what it's designed to be a waste of time. Until I now on Quibi, probably by the time you listen to this, you can watch a new version of The Princess Bride on Quibi. What a new version of The Princess Bride, all, all done via social distancing. <laughs> this is the most surreal thing. That I have heard lately. Apparently a whole bunch of celebrities got together to redo The Princess Bride in little little segments, like one to two to three minute segments. And they well, they're act, not even doing 10 minute segments. They, they act out these scenes and then they throw the next scene to the movie to somebody else. So you've got these massive stars, Jennifer Gardner, Sam Rockwell, Chris Pine, Joe Jonas, Andy Serkis, they're all there. John Hamm, Taika Waititi, is that how you say his name? Taika, yeah. Yeah. Common, they're all part of this big old redo of The Princess Bride. They're all, they all sort of do it in their backyards or their houses because, of course, they can't actually get together to do anything. There's a corgi who subs in for the rat of unusual size that you see killed. Fred Savage is apparently supposed to be in there reprising his role as the little grandkid. It sounds pretty fantastic. So you haven't watched this yet? 
it is it is not technically out yet i don't i don't believe um it's actually supposed to be out sometime today which is june 29th so by the time this drops got it it will be out right now jake if you wanted to watch it vanity fair has some clips of some of the celebrities who are taking part and it is it is kind of a hoot i do have to say so is it like a is it like a script reading or because they're not together with each other they're they're, it's not a script reading they're actually acting out these scenes so joe jonas she he plays buttercup in one scene with Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones, his who wife Wesley, there. So you have <laughs> there, and they're actually dressed up in the costume. You know, Joe Jonas has his big old blonde wig on and the red dress, and Sophie's dressed with the mask on and the whole bit. Jack Black is is pulling himself up at one point in time, like on the cliff while he's trying to get to Inigo Montoya to do the, the sword fight. It, it strikes me as one of the best things that I've seen since the coronavirus started. It just, and part of it is because the movie is unquestionably one of the best movies made in the last 40 years. It really holds up well. It holds up well. It is almost just pitch perfect all the way through. So it's not a remake. It's just sort of a weird home-based coronavirus homage (laughs) to Princess Bride. So I I may have to watch it. It does sort of sound like the the perfect sacrilege, if you will. Like there's – there's probably never going to be a time till most of us have died out, died away before we're okay with a princess bride remake. Right. Right. But in this context where it's being chopped up so tiny in it's done in a social distance in a ridiculous way where you're having the wrong people play the wrong characters and all that sort of thing. Like it's just ridiculous enough to, to let like to let, get our guard down. It's kind of what it sounds like. Well, it, it, that's exactly right. You could never, ever remake The Princess Bride. I mean, out of, out of, you have seen some classic movies remade, but remaking The Princess Bride is a little like remaking Casablanca. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. Or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Can you imagine a remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark? No. But in this way, because it's both, sort of embracing everything that the princess bride was, but in a hokey, ridiculous manner. And because it features so many A-list superstars in it, it, and a Corgi, a Corgi is a rat of unusual size. That's the clincher. Well, that that's just kind of what they are anyways. So, yeah. I mean, it's a little, it's, that one's a little on the nose, but. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I do have to say, I've not been particularly personally interested in Quibi. No. And I would have my interest peaked. It it is actually kind of brilliant by Quibi, actually, because who really cares about it? Now I kind of care about it. Now Now I have to watch it. There you go. Coming to Quibi near you. The Princess Bride, three minutes at a time, socially (laughs) distanced. Seems to isn't it? Joe Jonas is a princess. It's everything that you wanted in a fever dream in 2008. 
now in real life in 2020. <laughs> Uh, I don't so know exactly like you know, <laughs> Seth Rogen getting high with Jonah Hill in 2008 and being like, what if, <laughs> what if one of the Queen's corgis was a rat? Joe Jonas was a princess. Go with me here. Go with me. Fred Savage as Fred Savage. Of course, he can't be anybody else. I'm in. I'm like, I'm not, I, I'm saying that, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. Well, there you have it. The most least important thing. That's it for this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. You can escape our crazy brains now, just in case you forgot that there wasn't a, a stop button, or you know, if you forgot how to swipe up to close out of the app. We're letting you free now. You're free because we love you, and if you love something, you can let it go. Yeah. You can carry yeah. your wife, your husband across the finish line, whatever you like to do. That's right. Uh, but uh, you can catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.